So, Lucas, today, you know, I ran my dishwasher like a normal, normal person, right? It was pretty full. Mm-hmm. And I also had put in it my water bottle that I usually use. And I put on the bottom rack of the dishwasher the plastic top of the water bottle. I put plastic mm. down there. It's fine. Usually fine. Usually no problem. Uh, in the chaos in the maelstrom of the dishwasher, <laughs> it somehow snuck onto the bottom of the dishwasher below the bottom rack of the dishwasher. It melted. So when it hit the heating cycle, it melted. <laughs> Full so melted. I, I, I went and saw a movie today and I get home from the movie and I'm like, damn, what, uh, what is up in my apartment? <laughs> it like, just smells like awful chemicals and burnt plastic. Doing some investigating, I unload my dishwasher and I'm like, huh, still know where that smell is coming from and where the fuck's my uh, lid for my uh, cup? And lo and behold, I uh, take a closer look at the bottom of the dishwasher and fused to like, I think where the heat emanates uh. from is just my cap, um, <laughs> bottle cap. So that was a bit of a bummer. I had to really pry that off and be careful to not break the mechanism that is like the underlying oh, mechanism. You pried, you pried it off. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. And I, um, pl- m- melted plastic doesn't come off easily. So what work. I did here, I, I, this was kind of big brain, I thought, actually. I was like, all right, I need to apply some heat to this to be able to like scrub this off, right? So my first thought was, all right, let me get a lighter. And of course, right as I start that, my lighter just dies. So I'm like, oh man, now what? Big brain Matt here, galaxy brain Matt. I get, I start boiling water, Lucas. Just tons Whoa. of water. Start boiling it. And then once it's boiled, I pour it over the part that I need to clean in the dishwasher. Mostly came off mostly came off wait that's actually that's actually pretty smart so you so some like you were able to kind of get that remaining plastic that had fused there on was there. a good bit that had fused to it unfortunately um i got like any big chunks off there's still definitely some like remnant you know vibe in there but it is what it is the smell is still there unfortunately not as oh, pungent not, not as pungent in the apartment but when i open the dishwasher itself um it's still there so i'm hoping on the next cycle i run it it's just kind of gonna fix itself <laughs> <laughs> hopefully i mean it, i guess it'll heat it up again and then possibly push all the remaining plastic out yeah there's like not much there anymore and i'm pretty sure i cleaned most of what was on the rack like the actual heating part off a lot of it just drooped on the bottom of the dishwasher yeah. too so we'll see but um that was a that was a, a week in my or day in my life today yeah geez dude that is uh that's that's not great. You know what's crazy is that there's a there's a parallel universe, one of many infinite universes where you didn't do that. Oh, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness? No, that doesn't come out for like a month. <laughs> what is it with the multiverse I, stuff right now? Yeah, I was just gonna say I was just gonna say I like you're yeah I think a lot of our audience's brain might go to Multiverse of Madness, but you know you just watched Everything Everywhere All at Once, yes, and it's about that as well. Yes, yeah, everything every. Everything, everywhere at once. Extremely, extremely good movie. I highly recommend uh, anyone that likes movies go and check it out. Uh, I saw it in theaters today. Loved it. It is uh, the best way I would describe it. Is it's like a an artsy movie that like has Marvel esque visuals. There you go. Great, great uh, out there. But not like overkill with the CGI. Yeah, everything's yeah, very but- tastefully done. A very, very, very good thematic 
a movie with very good themes in it. I think very good messages. Um, yeah, really, I highly recommend it. I think it's a fun watch for everyone. And I think everyone enjoyed it. might be able to take their own meaning from it and see how they can apply it to their own lives. That's right. Good take. Good take. Um, all right. I got something for you, Matt. Talk to me. So, you know, we've been doing this ongoing series. Um, you know, we, we're trying to bring a lot of really awesome content to the people. That's not necessarily a video game review. Um, you know, so we... I think this week would be a video game episode if we did not recently change up kind of our, our schedule. Actually, yeah, let's um let's establish that really quickly. So going yeah. forward, the way Lucas and I are going to be scheduling things, April's a weird month for the podcast because it's, it's a transition month to the new schedule. Going forward, though, everyone can expect our episodes to be at the end of each month, monthly. Right. So, so I don't yeah, know if we exactly. mentioned that in the last episode, but yeah, so Elden Ring will be coming out on April 28th. And then the next game we do, spoiler, it's Sifu, will be coming right. out on May 26th. So the people did vote. The people there was did vote. Voting, the people and did you guys vote. missed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and hey, you know, if you want to vote, if you want to be involved in the conversation, make sure you join our Discord. You can find that link in any of our social media accounts in the link trees there. Uh, TFP podcast that's at TFP podcast with an S at the end you can mm-hmm. find that on shoot everywhere really you can find that on Twitter TikTok Instagram uh, you can also find it on our website thanks for playing dot live and finally you know shoot us an email if you want thanks for playing pod at gmail.com and I will personally send you an invite to the discord love that all right. Uh, so anyway, people, we are, you know, in the middle of scheduling out some really awesome content for you. Obviously, we're super excited about Elden Ring by the end of the month and uh, Sifu coming up. I'm really excited to jump into Sifu. Been hearing a lot of great things. Um, but we, here we are to bring you um, episodes on a variety of different topics that we find interesting, uh, that I have looked into, done some research on, and, you know, just kind of with that thanks for playing vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week, going to be covering uh, location-based games. Location-based games are super niche. Uh, there truly are not that many location-based games. Um, of course, the biggest one uh, is one of the biggest games that that's probably ever existed or ever will exist uh, that everybody was playing in the summer of 2016, and that game was Pokemon Go. Uh, this podcast is this episode is going to be more about more than Pokemon Go, um, although it, there is going to be plenty of, I think, Pokemon Go nostalgia uh, leaking in here. Uh, I do want to talk about that for the most part because today and always, I mean, t- right now, it is still a massively played game and still makes a lot of money. Pretty incredible, uh, honestly. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll be getting into that. But uh, first, I want to just talk about what a location-based game is, right? So Matt, are you ready to dive down, follow me? with these coordinates on this GPS to location-based games. I'm activated, King. Let's go. All right. All right. So a location-based game, uh, it's a pervasive game in which uh, gameplay revolves around um, a player's location, usually figured out using uh, global positioning satellites or GPS, um, usually using some sort of maps or localization technology, usually um, in the modern era, uh, a lot of procedurally generated landmarks. Uh, Pokemon Go is very good at this. And Niantic, the company that makes Pokemon Go, has done a few other uh, games that kind of take advantage of the same procedural generation. Uh, Usually talking about like streets, uh, maps, and things like that. Various mobile devices are sort of your main location-based device. Uh, But there were GPS and location-based games actually before smartphones, which I will be getting into. 
Um, and a lot of these games have some sort of augmented reality element to them, especially the modern day games with, uh, you know, with smartphones, uh, smartphone apps and games like that. Uh, they're really, really are not a ton. It's kind of funny. Uh, the, the big ones now, you know, Pokemon Go, it's one called Ingress, uh, Bot Fighters, uh, Dragon Quest Walk, uh, <laughs> which is a <laughs> Dragon Quest uh, GPS game, which is hilarious to me. There was a Harry Potter Wizards Unite, mm -hmm, actually, mm -hmm. that came out after Pokemon Go, and that one's actually already discontinued. Uh, Shadow Cities also discontinued, and Minecraft Earth also discontinued. So, you know, the thing with location-based games is, and people that logged into Pokemon Go back in 2016 will remember this, they take a lot of server power sometimes. And uh, I remember, you know, there's a lot of people jumping into Pokemon Go. Uh, <laughs> I found it impossible to get in. Uh, when they first came out, Matt, did did you play Pokemon Go? I dabbled, I dabbled, Lucas. But my biggest complaint was, <laughs> where's the battle system? I know that yeah. was always mine too. I was like, okay, I got what this I, Pokemon. What do I? What fight I wanted, people? what I wanted with Pokemon Go, you know, because they, they tied like quote gyms to landmarks, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to go to a landmark, find someone else there from a different team, and then fuck them up. <laughs> but didn't really have that opportunity, unfortunately. At least not with the way I remember it. Maybe it's changed, but yeah, I I remember that was the thing that I felt like was missing. I mean, I'll I'll just throw out some numbers here. So Pokemon Go, I think in 2016 when it first came out, peaked at about 250 million concurrent players. Um, that is an insane amount of players. Uh, right now, I just just for context, I have the Steam charts pulled up at steamcharts.com. It's where you can actually check uh, concurrent players right now for Steam games uh, and check the last 30 days as well. Uh, Counter-Strike Global Offensive is at the very top, 360,000 players playing Counter-Strike, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. It's a lot of players. Elden Ring, 235,000. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Apex Legends, 153. Mm -hmm. Pokemon Go had 250 million that summer. Okay, That's you so and I silly. were one of those 250 million. <laughs> it was out of control. I remember walking uh, at the time uh, I, I had the game on my phone and I think I was still in college. I remember going to, uh, I forget what it's called, like sort of the Long Beach Marina where like the aquarium of the, of the Pacific oh, yeah, is. Yeah. Uh, and like literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people just playing Pokemon Go in that area. And somebody yelled that there was like a Mewtwo or something. And everybody ran. It was madness. Like yeah. this game had the ability to just grab everybody. I mean, and, I, and push them in a direction. You'd see people just like walking around in mass in parks, staring at their phone. Like it was dangerous. Yeah, I, dude. I don't have a specific article in mind, but I guarantee you there. Are, there's. I remember seeing several articles from back then of like, oh, person walks in the street unknowingly and gets hit by a car playing Pokemon or something like that. You know? Yeah. I have a funny got story. Mugged. Yeah, I believe it. And then I have a. Maybe not funny, but I have a story as well <laughs> where funny. I believe this came out. What, what did we just say this came out? Summer of 2016. 2016, right. So it was still kind of going and summer of 2017 as well. Um, and that's when I interned at Blizzard. And that is also when I met a guy there who was so into it. He started ditching meetings for it. And he, wow. maybe not ditching meetings, but he would leave his desk often and like, leave the campus basically to go and play Pokemon go. And ultimately with some other things that led to enough strikes for them to like get let go. So, uh, you know, just cause you wow. work at a gaming company folks doesn't mean it's all fun and games. Literally. <laughs> that is 
lesson. <laughs> funny. They learned a That's, lesson there. Wow. wow, wow. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think all of us can kind of remember when that phenomenon hit and you know, that that's the best example of of a geographic uh location-based game, mm -hmm. really. Uh, the number one, or I, I guess I should say some of the earliest examples really predate Pokemon Go. I mean, you can go back as far as when GPS was really becoming popularized um, in the past like 40, 50 years. You know, one of the first examples is something called geocaching. Uh, Matt, you've done some geocaching before, have you not? I have a little bit, I believe, for Boy Scouts. Oh, yes. When I was in Boy Wait, Scouts the pot, hang on. The you just dropped you just dropped a big surprise fact on the podcast. Have I not brought that up? up? I don't think this has ever gotten brought up. That's kind of crazy, actually. We've been uh, doing Matt, this almost two years. Matt is um an Eagle Scout, everybody. I, yes. I, I, I that's no cap. That's a no real cap. that's a real fact. No <laughs> yeah. Did uh Boy Scouts all through high school until I went to college and I got my Eagle Scout where I got a card for it too. I don't have my wallet on me, otherwise I Put it up to the camera here, but uh, honestly, it's he can do a lot of things. He can mend broken bones, mm -hmm. uh, bur treat burns, CPR, walk on water. That, that's one of the. That's a badge. Yeah, mm -hmm. you can get that one. Cure blindness. Um, you can turn water into wine. That one too. Yeah. Basically, you can do all the miracles, which is just super useful in everyday Side life. Side note: honestly. This reminds me. There's a Jesus game coming out soon. I keep forgetting that. <laughs> is there real? Oh, it, yeah, there is. Right? Didn't we talk about that on the pod before? Yeah, I think I, I remember when I first saw it. I thought it was supposed to be like a like a satire maybe or a parody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's I, made I by like a preacher. I don't believe it is. Yeah. The game is called um <sighs> You play through the life of Jesus growing up to like understand him, I believe. Yeah, it's called I Am Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's pretty on the nose with the name. Very on the nose. So uh, yeah, quick tangent there. I apologize. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm a Boy Scout and I did yeah, a little so, geocaching there. So geocaching, <laughs> for those, for geocaching, for those of you that don't know, um, it's like a modern GPS-based scavenger hunt that you can do. Um, I actually did quite a bit of geocaching when when I was kind of in my prime hiking years, which haven't really done too much hiking. You did a bit of that in Vegas, didn't you? Oh, I didn't geocache, but I was hiking mm. a lot when I did live in Vegas. Um, for any of you hikers that are in the Vegas or, you know, Nevada, Southern Nevada area, you know, obviously Red Rock Park is amazing. I've done pretty much every trail there um, when I when I lived there for a couple of years. So loved it. I really did. W I do wish that I did some geocaching back then because geocaching is is just such a great joy of mine. Um, it's It's just one of those activities that is like such innocent, wholesome fun that like really hits like the kid in you kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, geocaching is basically, you. Uh, it's all done through a smartphone app and um, a platform called geocaching. Geocaching is sort of a broader term for something that people have been doing for many years, but it's now like sort of an, a sanctioned app and a sanctioned community of people. What you do is people hide uh, geocaches. They hide certain things in public spaces, usually on like a hiking trail, maybe at a park and mark the location on the app. And uh, usually it has like a log book. Uh, it has like a little object you could take with you. It's sort of like just for the fun of the game. Uh, a lot of times geocaches will have like a little environmental puzzle built in or a clue on where to find it. Uh, the first geocache I ever found, for instance, it was on a hiking trail at uh, Chino Regional Park, Chino Hills Regional Park, one of those here in Southern California. And it was springtime, beautiful day, went hiking with a couple people. And the geocache was actually hanging from a tree on the trail, oh, so you sick. would not you would not see it if you did not know what you were looking for. Yeah, right. And you you're on geocache. You have the app on your phone. 
you have the GPS, you're kind of following the map and finding out where it is. And then the clue in the geocache says like, you know, in the branches or like, like a bird in a tree or so it was a, it was like a clue that was like mildly cryptic, not super tough. And then I look up at the branches and I see something hanging from a clip and I'm like, that's it. I grab it. <laughs> There's a little logbook in there. I signed my name on it and took a picture. And I was like, so, so excited to finally found, find my first one. And uh, it was, it's just a lot of fun. It's, it's, uh, it makes you feel like a, a proper treasure hunter, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think when we were kids, we wanted to be treasure hunters. I mean, it's always fun to find like some buried treasure. People will mark geocaches for like difficulty. It was this difficult. It was this interesting. People will rate them and things like that. And honestly, it, for anybody curious, like your local hiking trail has dozens of geocaches. Like it is a massive worldwide community of people. College campuses are hotspots for geocaches, any hiking trails, uh, public parks near you, like you will find them everywhere. And it is a super, super fun thing. People have been doing it since uh, 2000. Mm -hmm. First geocache was actually found, it was in Oregon. Um, and it was, you know, obviously predating smartphones, but coordinates on a GPS, uh, people went out and found it. Uh, so pretty cool there. It actually is even dates back further. There's a practice before geocaching called letterboxing, which actually originates from England. This is a uh, mid 1800s. People would actually, uh, leave letters in hidden spots at public parks oh, and, uh, people like would that. find these letters and then sign their name and then like super, super basic stuff. Obviously no GPS. You would just be walking through the park. Yeah. Um, and you would find like a, a letter in a nook in a tree or something like that. And, and you'd sign it. So that was letterboxing. Not exactly a game, but just kind of like an outdoor hobby. Uh, geocaching is, is a pretty solid game in terms of like there's clues, uh, there's prizes even when you find some stuff. Some geocaches are very big um, and hold like a lot of little goodies for people to find. Uh, and then of course, like you mark your ge the geocaches that you found and there's rankings and things like that. So huge one for those of you trying to hike or get out there, I highly recommend that one. So yeah, that's uh, those are kind of the two main ones is that what we've seen. I'd say geocaching is, uh, I mean, I think the point of your location-based games are really to get you out there um, and get you mm. walking, get you moving. And I think that's what makes them uh, so fun is when you're going on a walk or going on a hike is kind of adding in that element of that location-based game. Yeah, and I think what's cool about geocaching too, and um, I know there's been some examples of this used. I don't know if it, it would be referenced to geocaching specifically or more so just kind of giving hints and clues to public locations. But uh, I know Oxenfree did like an ARG where they would appoint people to a certain location. I know they did one for Mr. Robot, the TV show, I think. Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. That's And cool. again, I can't confirm if it's like geocaching or what, some other form of finding people on location. But the the core concept is there which is a you know i think it's a great way for i mean for one geocaching in and of itself right is a dope community and then by extension you can use geocaching to uh, interact with communities as well which i think is dope yeah totally it, you know that uh or rather it, interact with your communities if you're like a company or something or like a game company totally totally i i love that idea there's actually there's a really cool example that i i wanted to bring up here on this episode but i actually want to do a full episode on this event that happened um in 1979 something kind of happened where there was a children's book called masquerade by kit williams it was like an illustration children's book and uh in the children's book was actually clues to a, a real life buried treasure and people like went nuts. Like it was a big, big deal. It like sweeped the nation of England. 
uh, and people were like looking for this buried treasure with clues that were in this book. What year was this? Um, 1979. I, I, I'm, I really want to do a full podcast episode on it. Um, it was this really complex puzzle that you actually had to solve. There was basically like 15 illustrations in this picture book for children. And the book, the premise of the book is that if you solved the puzzles in it, it would lead you to a place where there was some buried treasure. That was like pretty much the whole thing. That's insane. And parents and kids started trying to find clues. Was together. it like framed as a normal book and you had to decode it? Or were there, was it straight up clearly this is a puzzle, solve this? It, it was like, this is 15 pictures and these are puzzles. Like, and you have to solve it kind of thing. And it was, it's crazy. Like what you have to do is like, tie a like draw a line from the left eye of the figures in the pictures to their left finger a finger on their left hand and basically like you would kind of like connect the dots like these invisible mm -hmm. dots inside the pages and it would point to these specific letters on the pages and then those letters were like an anagram for where the treasure was buried it was like this crazy complex puzzle it took people years and years to solve um and the author like i think it was four years until someone actually solved it um, what was the treasure? So, uh, the treasure was just a buried rabbit, a buried golden rabbit in a park in England. Oh. Uh, I'll, I'll do, we'll do a full episode on it. I just wanted to bring that up because I, I think that's pretty interesting. Like, I mean, that's a game in and of itself. I would call that a treasure hunt game. Yeah, 100%. That kind of swept a nation. And it's so, it predates so much of what we think of as, as games today because like there's not a bunch of variables or systems. It's kind of like 15 little neat puzzles and yeah. like it leads yeah. to somewhere in real life. And I just, I, I, I just let the, the little treasure hunter kid in me like gets all giddy when I'm when I'm reading that kind of <laughs> stuff. Um, but yeah, you know, as far as the audiences go, uh, like I've said, you know, Pokemon Go peaked at 250 million people in summer of 2016 when everybody was playing it. But in uh, in recent years, you know, this is coming from uh, 2022. This is business of apps.com which is a pretty solid source for statistics like this. And uh, in 2022, I mean, Pokemon Go is still doing incredibly, incredibly well. Uh, 150 million people play Pokemon Go right now, uh, and it made that's so crazy point... to me. Yeah, I know it's kind of infinite content, honestly, because I mean they just keep creating more generations, more to collect. I think they have 700 Pokemon now um, that you can collect, and I think that's still growing uh, year over year. Uh, the revenue is uh, in 2020. This is the last time the numbers were available. Uh, 1.23 billion in 2022. So just for context, in 2016, 8. Or 0.83 billion, 17.58 billion. So it dipped. 2018 went up a little bit to 0.81. 2019, 0.89 billion, and then peaked up again uh, to its highest at 1.23 billion. So it is actually at its uh, like a stable amount of users so that 150 million now but it's making more money than it's ever made uh so you know if you ask me they're doing well i mean they're doing fine uh it's pretty insane how how popular is really really stayed it's uh it's really something uh and it's kind of funny i i found a few articles here i know i linked them here on our note sheet i just wanted to bring these up you know not everybody found it to be all that cute uh you know there was some there were some really questionable gym locations back in the day. I just wanted to kind of bring that up uh, if people will remember. Um, I, I shouldn't be laughing about this, but, you know, there was a gym, for instance, like at a Florida Holocaust Museum. And the, the Holocaust Museum, there's literally like there was a meme because you could do the augmented reality. A lot of people caught Pokemon in like 
they didn't do the augmented reality version of catching the Pokemon. They just like use their phone screen to like simulate the background of Pokemon and throw the Pokeball and move on. But there is like a picture of somebody catching a Pokemon, but the backdrop is the Holocaust gym. And it was just the most like, it was like that one meme of the guy who face swapped at a funeral with the, with the, with the body. You know what I'm talking about, Matt? Mm -mm. Dude. Okay. <laughs> it's super, super huge tangent, but just like when tech, when modern technology kind of interfaces with the real morbid in a way that is so outlandish where it's like, oh my God, someone's catching Pokemon at like the 9-11 memorial hunk of Twisted I know, it's, Steel. It's, it's, really <laughs> bad. Yeah. it's really bad. And like, it, it's just, it's, it's so bad that like I almost, it's so insane, like offensive, bad, obscure, absurd that like I kind of just can't help but like laugh at the how <laughs> uncomfortable it makes me. Um, and, you know, it, it got to a point where there actually were like judges that were involved and there was like a declaration that AR games had the freedom to keep these places as stops and mm -hmm. gyms. Yeah. And thing, was, gym is a generic term that Pokemon Go uses, but like different AR games or different geolocation based games used other things like the Harry Potter game, also made by Niantic. It used a very similar format where you would walk to different locations and it would like, basically you, you just arrive there. I don't know what they called it specifically, but you go to a landmark and then you would, you'd get points for going to that landmark basically. And you know, despite how awful it is to have a museum like that set up as a gym, you know, the, the company is permitted to be able to do so on account of the first amendment. So there's actually, there was a, there was like kind of a, a big case that ended up happening where a judge made a call that no, it is okay for companies to be able to do that. You don't need to get a permit for that. Those Surprised are public it falls spaces. under first amendment. I feel like, I don't know how that ties in with free speech per se. Yeah. Um, well, I think that if you prevent, so the first amendment is Congress shall make no law abridging free speech, right? So if a law was created that prevented a private company from, I guess one could argue a private company creates a, a situation where they're expressing their speech to have a Pokemon gym at a Holocaust museum, right? I think blocking them from being able to do that would be interfering with their free speech. At least that's the way the judge sure, yeah. uh, interpreted it, I suppose. Um, like you can't make a law that would stop somebody from being able to do that. Mm -hmm. Not a lawyer, just kind of uh, meandering through through <laughs> that whole point right there. Um, just find it very interesting that, that it ended up being a win for, for AR games and things back then. And this is 2017, so it's kind of a little bit ago, uh, five years ago already. Uh, but but fascinating nonetheless. So yeah, you know, I think that's that's really what we got here. Now there's there's a few other notable examples for the geo-based games. There is a really fun one that's made by Niantic called Ingress. Um, that's actually really cool. Uh, this one is like actually has a lot of flavor to it. It's as if like the Higgs boson large hadron collider created like a substance and like black holes are basically opening all over planet Earth. Oh. And you <coughs> excuse me and you actually go to different locations geographically and like find portals all over the map and like kind of stop them from opening or close them or whatever and um it's still going it's been around since uh 2013 it, it predates pokemon go but it's it was built by niantic uh their first kind of geo geo-based location game <coughs> oh excuse me 
And Ingress uh, is getting a Netflix series. It is. Oh wow! I actually I didn't see that. According to an article from 2018 by. Oh gosh, Adblock came up. I can't even. But yeah, supposedly it's getting an anime. Who knows when? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool, actually. Oh, it is I, an anime already. It's on Netflix. Ingress is an anime on Netflix. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, yeah. Can't a television ser- anime series based off Niantic's uh, augmented mobile reality game. Wow. Uh, reception seems average. Six point three <laughs> on my anime list. Six point five on IMDb. Honestly, you know that could be a lot worse. That's probably at least like a okay watch. How's my anime list as a source? Um, as for me, that is the gold standard for anime, personally. Oh, really? Okay. At cool. least that's good. I don't know if any of our other listeners want to chime in. I'm happy to hear otherwise. But whenever I want to get like the general consensus on an anime from hardcore watcher, you know, I uh, I go to my anime list. All right, love yeah. that. Um, all right, so that's really what I got for GL. Oh, you know, one thing I actually want to mention here too is, um, you know, like we like we always talk about on this podcast, or we've talked about a lot, is education with video games. We love thinking about how video games could uh, be a good form of education. And um, there is actually some studies that have come out early, early kind of studies. Uh, I got a 26, 2006 one actually about, um, it's more theoretical, but you know, hybrid reality games reframe potential uses in historical context. Um, And you know, this here's kind of the abstract uh, hybrid reality games employ mobile technologies and GPS tools for transforming physical spaces into interactive game boards. Rather than situating participants in simulated environments, which mimic the physical world, uh, re- hybrid reality games or, quote, AR games make use of the physical world immersion by merging physical and digital spaces. Online multi-user environments already connect users who do not share those contiguous spaces. With mobile devices, players may additionally incorporate interactions with the surrounding physical space. This article is a speculative study about the potential usage of hybrid reality games in education as activities responsible for taking learning practices outside the closed classroom environment into open public spaces. Adopting the framework of sociocultural learning theory, the authors analyze design elements of existing hybrid reality games such as mobility and location awareness, collaboration slash sociability, and the configuration of the game space with the aim of reframing these games into an educational context to foresee how future games might contribute to discovery and learning. So uh, we've, we've been on this for a long time. I mean, this study, uh, you know, this is, uh, oh, there's actually UCLA, I just noticed, uh, 2006, July 2006. So been on been on the radar for a little while. <laughs> radar, <laughs> get it? Goddamn. Uh, and, and, you know, to me, I think that there's, there's a lot of ones like I know that there's uh, even a geographic game where you're dropped on a random location on Google Maps near a his, like near a, a world landmark mm-hmm. and you actually have to guess where you are. Mm, uh, so kids, cool. you know, um, in fact, my niece, uh, who I was just talking to before we started recording here, was telling me that that is a game that they play. I think that's called GeoGuessr. Uh, so, you know, there's like, there are like straight up educational uses for it. Like where in the world are you, you know, just geography one-to-one. I mean, you're on a map, you're doing that. Um, but I'm, I'm, I think this, this study right here, this, this article is really interesting because it's more talking about sort of like cultural impact, sociology, collaboration, location awareness, and things like that. All those things that I think Pokemon Go <laughs> for better or for worse has made people have to come to, uh, come to terms with. <laughs> yeah. 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 Where do you really see the future going for AR, or excuse me, um, 
you know, these location-based games long-term? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I'd say that, um, I mean, I think the game, a game like Pokemon Go is probably going to continue onward indefinitely. I mean, 150 million people is a lot of people to lose. Uh, like, again, I brought it up here, you know, looking at the Steam charts, the, the most game played game right now as I'm talking about this, right, is, is CSGO at 360,000. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Pokemon Go just has a massive, massive player, massive player base. It's not losing any money. It's going to continue on indefinitely. It's a, it's a cash cow. Yeah, it's a cash cow. So there's no reason it'll ever stop. And uh, I'd say, whew, boy, uh, how we would make, how, like where they would go into the future. I think probably using them in classrooms to get students out of the classroom. I think it depends on your environment. I think it depends on the high school. The high school I went to did have like a lot of walking space, a lot of green space surrounding it. It was kind mm -hmm. of a little more rural, I think, than, than a lot of Southern California is used to. Went to high school in Oregon, for those of you that don't know. And um, I'd see geocaching having a, a very, very solid space there. Um, reading GPS, reading maps. I mean, these are all things that we should be learning as adults. Yeah, uh, I, I use, agree. I use, map, I use maps every day, um, even though like my map on my phone treats me like I'm, I'm a complete idiot and will tell me exactly <laughs> where I need to go all the time. I think it's useful to to get good geometry of your of your sense, uh, you know, of the world and get a good uh, feel for maps and things like that. So I think for nothing for if not like for even if it's only just looking at maps and walking in a direction and seeing how your GPS is affected and all that, I mean that's that's good enough I think for these geolocation based games. I think we can teach kids a pretty good amount just by doing that. I love it. Love it. Awesome. All right. Anything else you right. want to touch base on there? No, I mean, I guess this is a little bit short one because uh, you know there just isn't there just isn't that many games that that are really leveraging all this all this stuff right now, and I I think it's because people are really only going to be playing one at a time. Yeah. So you know it, you're not playing Pokemon Go while you're playing Ingress, most likely. Um, you're probably playing one or the other uh, because I mean I'm sure there's people that do both, but you're most likely going to be one or the other. Um, I think it differs a lot. Like you and I can jump from League of Legends to which you won't, but we can jump from like, say, TFT. Yeah, not okay, uh, we could jump yet. from TFT to Elden Ring to Apex. I mean, we could play all these games sort of at the same time, so to speak. Yeah. But if you're playing like Pokemon Go, you're probably as your GPS location-based game. You're probably not playing a lot of other ones, um, which is probably why that Harry Potter one failed, even though it only came out like three years ago. Uh, so, you know, uh, I'd say this is a little bit of a shorter episode, but we'll see where things go. We'll kind of keep an eye on the genre. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it has definitely a sky's the limit type of thing, you know? Yeah. So there could be another cash cow. Yeah. I'll be very interested to see where things go with that. But, uh, all right, everyone, well, this has been, thanks for playing. Catch you next time. Skibbity bop. Thanks for playing is a production of Good Ideas Only. Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music was done by the impeccable Samuel Luna. And our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Roll Call Bunch and Red Circle 